Biden side might make a stronger statement about China than the other. They'll probably say nice things when they get together, but uh, there will always be sources of, of frustration with each side, differences of opinion. And we have to keep in mind that we are going into election seasons first in Germany, where there's going to be a significant change of leadership next year, a presidential election in France. And uh, those are two of the significant uh, movers of EU policy. So there's a lot of unknown there as well. I suppose also the G7 is sort of under pressure to show that it's still relevant, isn't it? It almost needs to come up with something because if it fails to do so, people are just going to say, what's the point of uh, the G7? It's really the G20 that matters uh, these days. So the challenge there, though, for the G7 is that they cannot just focus on one issue. So it's inevitable uh, in their discussions, there's going to be a, a range of issues, and any one issue is not going to be more important than the others. And certain issues have, have a great personal interest to some of the leadership, and one of them would be climate change, very important uh, issue for President Biden, for example. We have the United States and, uh, and its NATO partners pulling out of Afghanistan and, and mm. you know, what will be the go-forward policy in that part of the world. That's going to get some of their attention. Other part of the Iran nuclear talks, other parts of the Middle East where there are issues. Uh, so uh, the, on this, this, this full agenda, and of course Russia as well, not mm. another obvious one, Asia, China will be part of it, but how much priority, that remains to be seen. Ross, thanks very much indeed. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Not much movement in Asian markets as investors wait that crucial US inflation data later on this evening. The ASX 200 up 0.1%, the Nikkei 225 in Japan up 0.1%, the Cosby in South Korea down 0.1% and the Hang Seng all set for a flat open later on this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and we'll have some analysis of that inflation data out of the US tonight and its impact on markets, so do please join me for that. Uh, back chat coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Nixie Lamb. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, a few showers, isolated thunderstorms in the morning. Sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees and then occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next few days. 28 degrees right now, 88% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with a half-hour news. The European Union has denounced Beijing's overhaul of Hong Kong's political system, accusing China of breaching its international commitments. Here's Robert Kemp. In a statement released through its top diplomat, Josep Borrell, the EU said it would intensify its response to the situation in Hong Kong by increasing support for civil society, promoting freedom of expression and facilitating the movement of Hong Kong citizens. It also said it would be observing the trials of pro-democracy activists while considering a visit to the SER by high-level EU officials. The EU recently put on hold an investment deal with China over concerns about Hong Kong, China's claims to sovereignty in most of the South China Sea and Xinjiang. There's a growing threat of a trade war between Britain and the European Union after talks to resolve a dispute over post-Brexit trading rules in Northern Ireland made no breakthrough. The European Union negotiator Marisha Chovic warned that patience with Britain was wearing thin. We are at a crossroads in our relationship with the UK. Trust, which should be at the heart of every partnership, needs to be restored. That is the EU approach and the EU preference. If the UK were to take further unilateral action over the coming weeks, the EU will not be shy in reacting swiftly, firmly and resolutely to ensure that the UK abides by its international law obligations. 
President Biden has begun his first overseas trip since taking office with a rallying cry in support of democracy around the world. Addressing hundreds of U.S. troops at an airbase in eastern England, Mr. Biden said the United States was ready to lead an unrivaled network of alliances with strength. After a G7 summit and meeting with EU and NATO leaders, Mr. Biden would hold talks with President Putin in Switzerland. He said he would speak plainly to the Russian leader. I'm going to communicate that there are consequences for violating the sovereignty of democracies in the United States, in Europe, and elsewhere. I'm going to be clear that the transatlantic alliance will remain vital, a vital source of strength for the UK, Europe, and the United States. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiwetel and your co-host today is Nixie Lam. Nixie, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about US-China relations and the civil servants' pay freeze. Beijing yesterday accused Washington of paranoid delusion after the Senate passed a sweeping industrial policy bill. Reports say is intended to boost the country's ability to compete with Chinese technology. The $250 billion bill includes measures to strengthen U.S. technology and research, as well as to increase American production of semiconductors and telecommunications equipment. U.S. will target also will target China with a new strike force to combat unfair trade practices. The Biden administration says it as it rolled out findings of a review of access to critical products. But Joe Biden also signed an executive order yesterday revoking a Trump-era order aimed at banning TikTok, WeChat and other communications and financial technology software applications. His new order calls for a broad review of foreign-owned applications and directs agencies to provide reports to the president on the potential risk from such apps. And uh, tensions from China and the US may also worsen with Beijing expected to pass a new law today that experts say will enable Chinese companies subject to Western sanctions to retaliate against foreign business partners in mainland courts. Well, how are things going? Is that bill aimed at China? Will it become become reality? Is the US simply copying China's centralised approach? And what's going to happen at the G7 meeting? And what about uh, Biden's report on securing America's supply lines? All those together we're going to be talking. We want to hear from you, of course. You can leave comments on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. After 9.15, Felix Chung from the Liberal Party here to discuss uh, civil service pay as uh, the government expected to extend the pay freeze for another year rather than to uh, cut pay. Uh, once again, our email address is backchat at rthk.hk. We're going to be talking, as I say, about uh, uh, US uh, policy, industrial policy and uh, Sino-US uh, relations in, in just a moment. Um, first of all, uh, just... Just a, a little catch up on on uh, some uh, emails. So um, the uh, story so far. Yesterday we had a, a, an email from uh, Steve, uh, which I uh, which I aired, which is very critical of uh, two uh, policemen, two serving policemen, uh, Ian Cowerson and uh, Toby Lothian, uh, who um, uh, sometimes contribute to this program, uh, sometimes uh, email in their in their thoughts, uh, also uh, quite active on, on Twitter, and have also produced some some uh, videos. Uh, Steve was very critical. Uh, JS uh, responded uh, to uh, defend the uh, police officers. Uh, here's some more uh, response. That's the story so far. 
Okay, SJ says, uh, referring to the mail from Steve you mentioned in the programme, I eventually watched both videos from Toby on the police YouTube. Uh, I found they are actually humorous and educational. If you've really taken a close look into both videos, they are just 101 videos on what's Lunar New Year and the Chinese Valentine's Day. Then why so serious? And does it make a good cause to all the expats or global audience to know more about the Chinese traditions? For the accusation of Chinese propaganda by Steve, these two program hosts are just making their effort in promoting crime prevention and doing their jobs. Wouldn't it be their calling for their professions? I think we should be fair to those gents. Instead at this bad time, risking themselves of being doxxed, they stand out and make public announcements for the public, for the police. This is courage and it's, this is a commitment to their duties. For the common good of our city, no matter if you are blue or yellow, we should show our support to them. This should be beyond politics. That comes uh, from uh, SJ Okay, uh, this is from Greg, who says, uh, It's JS, Constable Toby, and Cowison, who have a jaundiced mentality. Cowison's tweets, for instance, are toxic, and both these shambolic mercenaries bring embarrassment upon the force. They do not reflect the esteemed virtues JS claims. The reputation of the Hong Kong police force has been solid, and Cowison and Toby have put themselves on a crusade to denigrate it further. That's from Greg. Pat says, um, I refer to the comments made by Steve against two serving police officers in today's show, that's yesterday. While Steve is entitled to write whatever he wishes, I'm a bit surprised that his comments, which were personal and offensive, the filth acronym, were read out. Steve might like to ask himself what service he has given to Hong Kong and what sacrifices he has made before sniping at others. That comes from Pat. And Ian Cowison himself gets the last word uh, in an email. Uh, Ian says, uh, Dear Backchat, after listening to the comments made by your charming correspondent Steve on yesterday's programme about myself and Toby, a colleague and friend of mine, please allow me the opportunity to respond. Steve seems to have a rather heavy axe to grind and his vitriolic comments say a lot more about him than they do about me, I suggest. He takes umbrage at the articles I published in China Daily. Well, fine, that's up to him. I stand by every word I wrote in those and I most certainly did write them in my own free will. Steve also rants about some YouTube videos that I and Toby have made denouncing these as propaganda. That'll be the light-hearted ones on Chinese New Year customs and the Lantern Festival. Then Steve Wright... Uh, if he gets upset by such inoffensive videos, there's really no hope for Steve, is there? And 10 out of 10 for originality for Steve for coming out with the filth acronym that's failed in London trying Hong Kong. Really, that's a new one, not... Steve will be pleased to hear that myself and Toby should hopefully be appearing in another dastardly communist propaganda video soon, this time looking at the customs associated with the Dragon Boat Festival. Hope he enjoys that. That comes uh, from Ian Cowison. Whose side are you on? Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. Call us 233-88266 is the number. Uh, Back to today's topic. Uh, We are joined now by uh, Mark Michelson in our central studio, chairman of Asia CEO Forum at IMA. Asia, and on the line, Jean-Pierre Cambastan, Chair Professor of Political Science at Baptist University. Once again, our email, backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, Mark Michelson, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. It's quite a long introduction to the programme today because there's kind of <laughs> lots of things, aren't there? There's the, so there's, this, the, there's the, the task force on the supply lines, there's this massive infrastructure right. bill, 
there's the response, there's this sort of anti-sanctions response from, from Beijing. You've got G7. Mm. Uh, I think that's most, <laughs> most all, of it. All coming TikTok. together. All, all coming together. TikTok. Yeah, all, and TikTok. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all, all, TikTok. The TikTok, but allowing talk to TikTok. Possibly because yeah. they, they're unable to ban it. Uh, <laughs> but um, what's going on there? What, what do you make of all this? Well, you know, it does reflect what's going on. You know, the dispute between the U.S. and China is, you know, ostensibly it's been about trade. Significantly, it's been about technology. But ultimately, it's been about who's going to be in charge. Mm. And, you know, Joe Biden said it. We're in competition for the 21st century. And the starting gun has gone off. Mm. That's it. That's it in the end, and there's a feeling that it's the U.S. versus China, maybe on both sides, but especially on the U.S. side. And it clearly, you see, got 62 votes, which, you know, doesn't seem overwhelming, but for the U.S. Congress these days, or for the Senate in particular, that's amazing. So it shows that it is bipartisan. It was co-sponsored by the leader, by the Democratic leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, and by a conservative Republican senator from Indiana, uh, Todd Young. So... Gives you an idea of what's going on. So what what exactly we're actually facing, say, in Hong Kong, uh, we're always in, in the middle. That's right. So what are we facing then? Is there like a big strategy change or uh, like what, what sort of challenges we actually Well, well Hong Kong is caught in the middle. What this is, 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 you know, and other people may disagree, it's industrial policy which the U.S. has not done very successfully mm. uh, when it's tried it in the past. And Hong Kong doesn't do it either, right? Mm. Many of the countries around us do, but, but in competition. But, of course, if you're talking about technology, especially if you're talking about new sanctions, and that's because this is a political bill as, and a security bill as well as one that deals with uh, the economy and technology, then Hong Kong is caught in the middle and will be subject to some of the same sanctions. But I just want to mention briefly, there may be a ray of light. I know TikTok may be maybe not the best representative of that. <laughs> but at the same time, we also have inflation. Mm. That's a big. That's clearly a, a more important threat. And many of the members of the forum that I chair have have worried about that. And doing so, the U.S. is going to have to look at its supply lines. And as you said, they're reviewing the supply lines. And China's still part of that. So there's mm. going to be have to be some. Uh, some sort of compromise is probably made going around the political difficulties. And I'm not sure if that's possible, but I think we might see some of that. So that's why you hear about this review of policy toward China, which has lasted, I think, since at least February now. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So so the inflation would, would feed in because they want cheaper goods. Yes. They'll be looking for. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the price rises. And, you know, it seems like at this point it looks like it's going to hit – North America and Europe more than than Asia, especially China. Although that could that could change pretty quickly too. So, but so that would give a whip hand to China. That would give more power. It, it could to, potentially. To, to, to yeah, Beijing. but the, everybody has to be careful on both sides. And you know, thrown into this in the middle is the Olympics, <laughs> not the Tokyo Olympics, which is pretty controversial too. But the Beijing Olympics, and that's become unfortunately a. Uh, part of the political uh, yeah. equation as well. What about the? Um, I mean, for for industrial products, is basically we have we have like traditional like supply chain like textile and things like that, yeah. and also the high tech um, side. So and and I heard like a lot of the um, countries because of COVID, they can't actually produce much traditional textile or, or, or other products. They actually went back to China for those uh, productions. So is that going to affect the whole strategy at all? 
Well, it's interesting, you know, and a lot of the companies we deal with, too, they've actually increased their dependence on China. Mm. And part of for the reasons and we've discussed, this, I think, on previous programs, Hugh, as well, uh, for the reasons you just described, mm. in the sense that many of the many of the, you know, Bangladesh mm-hmm. and, and Vietnam like Cambodia, now, think, and Vietnam yeah. has some problems mm-hmm. with COVID and so on. And plus, Chinese suppliers have been reliable and mm. they, you know, and they, they have high quality. And they might be more expensive, mm-hmm. and this isn't just for, for low, you know, for low level for garments and those sort of things. It's also for tech. So you've seen some increase in R and D facilities and so on for some chemical companies and others. You know, this is politically mm-hmm. uh, dangerous as well, but it just reflects what we're talking about because we have a globalized world, even though in many ways this bill and the Chinese reaction is almost anti-globalization because it's it's a you know zero-sum game which mm. which isn't you know in the end doesn't really benefit anybody hmm. also with us as i say is uh, professor jean-pierre cabestan good morning to you good morning thank you very much indeed for for joining us once again uh, i've seen comparisons between um this uh this uh, bill this uh 250 billion dollar bill that's at least got through the uh the the, the senate and the apollo program uh, in the yeah. 1960s uh is do, do they make sense or what do we learn from that is there and is there an equivalent of the space race underway yeah i mean what i would make the comparison with and i agree with the what the previous speaker said is uh, in spite of globalization, I think uh, the U.S. has reached a new Sputnik moment. If you remember the Sputnik satellite launched by the Soviets in the 1960s, uh, which was a wake-up call for, for the U.S. Uh, uh, military-industrial complex, for, for the uh, space uh, experts and space industry, was well, a wake-up call to sort of uh, catch up and, with the Soviets and, and overtake the Soviets in space and uh, in uh, launching, uh, you know, the, the program which, um, well, led the, the, the man on the moon uh, in 1969. So we are more in, you know, a Sputnik moment when China, the U.S. is waking up and has decided uh, full, uh, you know, to, and to get involved into a full-fledged competi- uh, technological competition with China in a number of uh, uh, high-end technologies, all the way from artificial intelligence, you mentioned space, electronic industry, and so on. And, and technologies which are very often dual technologies with military implications. So that's part of a broader um, strategic uh, competition between the two uh, superpowers with, uh, uh, as Mike was saying, with the clear intention of the part of the Biden administration that the, the U.S. remains in the, in the leading uh, position. So that's why we have this uh, competition uh, reaching a lot of sectors, uh, including, of course, the electric industry, and uh, which have been, uh, you know, uh, prevented to sell high-end chips to, to, to China, and um, and also um, uh, a broader geostrategic competition in the in the South China Strait, the South China Sea, East China Sea, and we see that, of course, uh, becoming a big uh, a big item of the G7, which is going to meet uh, to, tomorrow. The, the big issue is of course, is whether the supply chain is going to be disrupted. I think there's been an intention which has been accelerated by the COVID-19 crisis, which is to bring back home a number of of, uh, uh, supply chains, uh, particularly in what has been qualified as strategic industries. Uh, but, but it, of course, there's a question of price. Now, China is, the problem is China is getting more expensive now. And China has launched this double circulation strategy, 
which is also kind of a neo-protectionist uh, strategy to uh, rely more, on, you know, to, to emphasize more self-reliance in other sectors. Uh, but at the same time, we see uh, trade between China and the U.S. and China and the West uh, continuing to grow. Uh, we see U.S. agricultural uh, exports to China increasing. We see also Western uh, U.S., European and other investors continuing to invest in China. So, so you've got those conflicting trends, uh, which uh, give some leeway to China to some degree. Uh, but that doesn't put an end to this, uh, far from it, to this global competition between the two superpowers. Hmm. So what sort of like um, preparation should those companies be looking at? I mean, like it's globalization. You can't actually cut out all your partners and stuff. So uh, like for the U.S. companies or, the, or some Chinese companies, like what can they prepare for this? Um, well, I think there the, the will be, well, for a number of sectors, it's business as usual. I mean, if, if you talk mm. to uh, U.S. farmers, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's better than uh, before. Uh, but, but I think, uh, which is clear to me, there's a, a number of uh, 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 advanced technology sectors or technology products uh, are going to be uh, less uh, easy to export to, to China. And uh, that may affect uh, Hong Kong to some degree, although Hong Kong is not uh, important, that important in terms of uh, technology transfer to China. Uh, but but um, uh, that will affect, I think, the global relationship. Now, w- w- we've seen the Biden administration being big more selective, maybe, than the Trump administration, you know, allowing, as it was mentioned earlier, TikTok, uh, WeChat uh, to, to, you know, to, to uh, develop in the U.S. So, uh, but, but the problem is we don't, yet no fully know what Biden's China policy is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, chi- the Biden administration published in March an interim report about its uh, security strategy towards China. Uh, but it was an interim report. It was uh, very, very uh, sketchy and very, very short. So now we, we're still waiting. I mean, we are now nearly uh, five months, uh, six months uh, well, uh, after Biden came into office. And we haven't got yet a full uh, picture of what will be the Biden administration China policy. Uh, you know, all, all the way from security issues, technological issues, trade issues, and so on. So that's why many of the sanctions, actually, trade sanctions imposed by the Trump administration are still in place, I would say, for the mirror, because uh, the Biden administration has not yet figured out what kind of uh, uh, trade policy uh, it wants uh, to adopt with, with China. Uh, yeah, what, what, what about the sanctions, and what about the response from Beijing? Um, you know, yeah. the, the reports that there's going to be this anti-sanction bill. Yeah, well, yeah, but what, yeah, that will amount, what will that amount to? And, and <laughs> yeah. Hard to tell. I mean, the, the, well, it allows, uh, as far as we know, it allows um, Chinese companies to sue uh, other countries, other companies, or maybe foreign governments uh, before Chinese courts. Uh, what will be the implications? Maybe court decisions. We're going into complicated relations with uh, some countries, uh, but it, it's it's hard to see what you know in practical terms what what will it mean for other firms, for Western firms, European American firms, based in China. I mean, they, I, I, I've seen that they're worried. Uh, those firms are worried because they 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 they, 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 they worried of being uh, you know part of the uh, collateral. Uh, Damage uh, caused by these new anti-sanction law, uh, but but we don't know exactly what you know what, how, how the courts are going to sort of impose restrictions on, on foreign firms in, in, based in China. It, it, it will be actually uh, kind of uh, self-inflicting uh, uh, damage for China itself because uh, 
that may uh, that's not exactly what the, what the Chinese government wants. What the Chinese government wants is to sort of preempt or, or, or deter uh, Western government to adopt sanctions on the sanctions which have already been uh, imposed upon China. On, on so, so, so the model would be that that companies that have suffered from sanctions would would sue what. Yeah their former partners or something in, 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 in courts in the mainland? Or maybe a foreign government for having... Uh, Would sue a foreign government know, affected, in Beijing. Affected, affected, their, uh, affected their, their, their business activities in some countries. Uh, but but it's, uh, again, I, I, don't, we, we haven't, I don't have a clear view of what, 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 what Chinese courts can decide in terms of things, or measures uh, to sort of protect those Chinese companies uh, vis-à-vis... Uh, Sanctions, Western sanctions. Yeah, Mark Michelson. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It's it's a Jean Pierre's is describing a pretty awful situation, which unfortunately may happen. But you know what's what, what's happening at the moment is the Chinese government sometimes sometimes uh, visibly and sometimes behind the scenes are encouraging companies to that are already in China and to invest in China. Not everybody. Mm-hmm. But many of them, and, you know, in terms of their reaction, companies sometimes are reducing their ownership of their Chinese entities, which is more visual rather than substantial in many cases, but, you know, the, with the hope that it helps. But, you know, another thing that Jean-Pierre mentioned is, you know, it's very unclear what the U.S.-China policy is going to be. We don't have – the U.S. doesn't have an ambassador in China yet or hasn't named one. There have been rumors, and that, you know, that's probably symbolic. The other thing you mentioned, Sputnik, and Sputnik is also the name of the Russian vaccine, as you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, nice segue and, there. And, that, and that's another that's area of, of great competition. You probably heard that the Biden administration today or overnight announced maybe hundreds of millions of vaccines they're going to push out to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. obviously in competition with China and with Russia as well. And the other side, I just want to mention, is the military. Clearly, the first, the areas that they mention, and the first thing they're going to invest in, are 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 chips that are directly related to to security as well as commercial. You know, that power, consumer, and military advice, uh, devices. Fifty million immediately is going to go into that, and areas that that have been specifically mentioned, like uh, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, besides semiconductors, lithium batteries, and electric vehicles. Uh, Jean-Pierre Campesson, I know you're going at nine o'clock, but I mean, there's also just this question of, of is this industrial policy uh, basically Beijing, I mean, Washington copying it from, from Beijing? It looks like a very centralised, uh, the kind of industrial policy that you'd find in, in mainland China. Interesting you mentioning that because, you know, as a European... Uh, I think the U.S. is more copying from the Europeans. Uh, <laughs> at, least, at least the countries in Europe which have kept industrial policy. Yep. Mm. And but because of the liberal revolution in the late 70s or the 80s, a lot of countries have just given up, uh, you know, uh, uh, developing or keeping up industrial policy, uh, except countries like Germany, maybe. Uh, so now it's coming back. For, uh, and uh, because there is... Uh, now, the question is... You know, how, how do you draw a line between industrial policy, like China? I mean, China has also uh, always had a very, very um, aggressive and uh, uh, industrial policy. But where do you draw a line between that policy 
and, and protectionism. And, and here, uh, you know, you have to, uh, there are subsidies which may be illegal, uh, in fact, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the WTO uh, um, uh, regulations, but there are subsidies which are clearly against the rule of uh, international trade. So, and, and industrial policy can very quickly border, um, the, you know, a, a policy of um, giving a lot of subsidies to a number of sectors in the industry. So, so in the economy, and, and that, that's, that's, that's going to be a new bone of contention between the U.S. and other countries, maybe with the U.S. and China, but also maybe U.S. and, and some European nations. So, so, but there is a clear comeback of industrial policy, which, by the way, you know, in the, in the 50s under the Eisenhower administration was pretty uh, clear. It went all the way from building highways in the U.S. to, to the space program and so on. So, and, and today it's coming back. And that's, I think, it's, basically, it's a good thing because uh, there was a lack of industrial policy in, uh, in, in the U.S. for too long. U.S. economy having been dominated by financial, the financial industry rather than the manufacturing industry. But that's a, that's a, that won't be easy to change in spite of all the money which has been put in the system. But uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, Jean-Pierre Cabestan, uh, many thanks for joining us, uh, Chair Professor of Political Science at the Baptist University. Uh, Mark Michelson uh, will stay with us. We want to hear from you as well. Of course, you can email bankchat at rthk.hk. You can call us on 233-88266 or you can go to our Facebook page. That's Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. We also want to hear your thoughts, uh, as mentioned, on the uh, civil service uh, pay freeze uh, with a decision not to uh, move the civil service pay uh, up or down. We'll be talking to Felix Chung from the Liberal Party uh, on that uh, later. Just uh, we've got some other emails on on the uh, on our uh, uh, geopolitical uh, topic today, but uh, just squeeze, time to perhaps squeeze in one more thought on an unrelated issue. This is from uh, Steve, uh, who says, uh, "Hi, back chat. Last week, your speaker didn't have a concrete explanation about why, in the ratio of female smokers, remained low uh, lower in Asia than in the West. It has to do with social taboo. Until the 1960s, in the West, women and cigarettes meant prostitution." Mindset only changed with the hippies. Mindsets have changed too in this part of the world, but still smoking as a female remains taboo within family circles. Japan remains very conservative on women smoking and has uh, a link on that story. Thanks indeed for that uh, observation. The weather, mainly cloudy. Sunny intervals and a few showers today. Temperatures up to 31 degrees. And the outlook, occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next few days. 28 degrees, the latest readings with a relative humidity now of 88%. <laughs> project had been opposed by environmental campaigners and indigenous groups. On his first day in office, President Biden revoked a permit needed for a stretch of the pipeline in the U.S., reversing a decision taken by his predecessor, Donald Trump. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Thursday morning with Nixie Lamb and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about U.S.-China relations. Uh, uh, after a spate of uh, reports and uh, legislation and uh, meetings, uh, we're also going to be talking later about the decision to uh, freeze pay for uh, civil servants with uh, the head of the Liberal Party, Felix Chung. We want to hear from you, as ever. You can call us on 233-88266 or, as ever, you can email backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to read out your messages. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, or, or you can go to our Facebook page as well. I haven't looked at that, actually. Yeah, we'll have a look now and uh, see what's written uh, there. Uh, in an email, Paul says, Hi, Backchat. In 2019, 
Biden famously said that the US was not in competition with China and has a link to an NBC report, uh, which is uh, quite interesting. The NBC report says, uh, Biden quotes Biden as saying, China was not competition for the US. Uh, at an event in Iowa City, it, Biden was explaining why he believes concerns that China could eventually surpass the US as a world superpower and economic force are overstated. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man, the former vice president said. I mean, you know, they're not bad folks. But guess what? They're not competition for us, he added. Uh, Paul says, either Biden was talking nonsense or your guest is. Can you confirm which? That comes from Paul in Taipei. <laughs> Mark Michelson is with the chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Uh, Mark, Biden's really changed, hasn't he? Yep. This is not unusual for a, a politician. Sure. <laughs> I, well, I think of the Humphrey Bogart remark in in, uh, in Casablanca when he talked about he came for the waters and he said he was misinformed, which I guess this is what what Biden might <laughs> might be a, might be an excuse. Yeah, clearly there's a lot of pressure and you know what's interesting it's it's grown it was already true in 2019 from both sides of the political spectrum different views on how that should be applied and as you know this bill is still controversial and when, and it's still got to go through the house of representatives in the US and and there's there's some pushback on both the conservative and 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 progressive side but i i expect it may get through but it you know he did i think he's He's changed with the times, I guess, is the best way to put it. Mm. So, uh, so um, the previous guest that you mentioned about like Europe, and uh, I think one of the things that we might actually looking at is if U.S. is not um, in the game, in some part of the uh, the game on trading, uh, would the European companies get beneficial from the whole strategy change, or or, or are they going to uh, like? What with the U.S. to actually suppress China? Well, this is what's happened in the past, but it's, you can and you just reported it that the EU has now come out with uh, <laughs> with more more criticism of China, and the yeah. G7 mm. is going on right now. And we just had the finance ministers and now the the heads of government that are going to be meeting in the in the next few days. And you know, part of this bill, as I said, is is political and ideological. It's basically a coalition of the willing, of of the democracy, so to speak. And basically that means G7 plus the Quad, and Japan's a member of both, uh, plus South Korea, I guess, in terms of uh, in terms of not only economically, but taking a taking a stand of, of the views of so called liberal democracies. I'm not sure if that's a viable approach, but that's that's sort of part of the process and that's mentioned explicitly in the bill. Mm. Like some companies, say, say I think in Italy or like in the Five Eyes alliances, uh, um, New Zealand, they have expressed a different view recently. And uh, do you think that will happen for other countries, or are they just going to be like stand together? Well, you know, it's it's difficult because you know you're caught in the middle. You talked about Hong Kong being caught in the middle. Yeah. They're not <laughs> the only ones. You know, many countries, especially you look across Asia, mm. and Singapore is maybe the best example mm. of trying to trying to be Stay on away. both sides. <laughs> you know, because it's important. China is obviously the number one market and also number one supplier for mm. most countries in this region and actually many countries in the world. So in that sense, it's it's very important. Politically, they might not always agree, but they'd like to 
get around some of these differences and not be so so competitive. Mm. So if they're going to be competitive, it's going to be an industrial policy. And you mentioned industrial policy elsewhere. Jean-Pierre talked about Europe. Really, we're the champions in East Asia. It's not only China, obviously, but it's, uh, it's Korea, it's Taiwan, it's mm. Japan, and especially Singapore. Which is, you know, very strong in this area, and uh, Hong Kong has not been particularly active. We're ta- starting to talk about it now, but, you know, and I'm not sure if it's going to work. Um, I, I guess I'm asking the wrong person. I should have been talking to Jean-Pierre Campison about this. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, what's Beijing going to make of all this? How, uh, they're not just going to be passive, are they? No, and I think you've seen, you've seen some. You've seen some of it already, uh, and I suspect that you know, there will be some sanctions, but they, they'll be. You know, they'll be muted, I think, to some extent. And the competition is is on. I still think that there's an opportunity mm. and in areas where, where there could be potential cooperation. Climate change is often mentioned, but in obviously in healthcare and other areas as well, where the U.S. and China might find ways to get around some of this and to be more pragmatic. Now, maybe that's just a false hope at this point. But it, it it should be politically. Unfortunately, in the U.S., the the situation isn't great, and we're always coming up on elections. Okay, there aren't major elections this year. There are a couple, but uh, you know, congressional elections, twenty twenty two, and that's all you all you hear about in the U.S. now. And China has become a, one of those one of those issues. So it's going to be very touchy going, I think. Mm. Uh, certainly in the in the in the near term, and maybe the medium term. Mm. How much is this? Because all the reports kind of say this bill was uh, is targeted at uh, China. It's an well, it's an enormous bill, isn't it? It's like it two thousand pages or something like yeah, that. More than two thousand. More than two thousand. And I, I think the gist of it is, from what I understand, is that is that most of it is is boosting aspects of technology in in, um, uh, in in the United States, supporting the industry without mentioning China. And then a lot of extra stuff was kind of tagged on at the end, which more directly uh, targets uh, China um, uh, in, in the Senate. Uh, and a sort of ragtag of topics and, and things like that came in kind of on the on the coattails. Is that is that how it seems to you? And and what when it comes to reality, you know, what might survive when it comes to actual legislation, real well, legislation? Well, this is called the Endless Frontier Act before, which was, you know, not maybe maybe as explicit as what it was trying to do and then changed into the uh, into the uh, the competition, it's the Innovation and, and Competition Act. So, yeah, I mean, I think China was always there. Okay. It's just become more explicit. But you know, an example, semiconductors. And I heard an interview yesterday with one of the leading semiconductor makers in the U.S., the U.S. U.S.-based companies use around 50 percent of the world's semiconductors, but now only 12 percent are made in the U.S. Uh, from about 37 percent 10 years ago. They want to double that in the next 10 years, whether they can do that or not. But again, this is this is looking at you know at zero sum. It has this is not globalization. And the other you know big vulnerability is Taiwan, of course. Mm. Which, where, which is a very big center, especially for the most sophisticated <clears throat> semiconductors and chips, and the feeling that that's extremely vulnerable geopolitically, mm-hmm. which, of course, it is. Okay. So, so that, that's, that's part of the process. So it's very much involved. So I think China was always there. It's just become a little bit more explicit. Mm. What about the G7? What do you expect to come out of that? Do you think that's going to be a, a crucial kind of meeting? 
Well, it, it's I think symbolically it's important because it's so much part of of the policy, especially of, of the U.S. administration. It's to to rekindle the relationships in Europe and with our with the U.S.'s key allies, and and the G7 sort of fits that bill. But as was mentioned, I think earlier in the program, I'm not sure as, if the G7 is as relevant as it was. The G20, of course, and you know it has some challenges as well, but it includes much more of the world's leading uh, leading economies, including China and, and Russia and, uh, and 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 several others, and also in, also brings in others like Singapore to every meeting and 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 other major major Asian uh, Asian players. So you know that might be a bit more, but at the same time, I think this is part of the strategy. And this is you know uh, President Biden's first trip overseas. Mm. And uh, we just had the vice president make her first trip overseas, which which had some controversy. Didn't so go well, so yeah. there's a little bit more pressure on on this one. So I'm not sure how much <laughs> substance. And of course, there's a minor meeting with uh, with Mr. Putin, which uh, which also might uh, might might have some news involved with it. Uh, you know, a, a, a lot of people was, uh, had said that uh, American and. Um, uh, other countries demonstrating a kind of hostility, uh, you know, at the highest level, and it, it seems in sort of polls and things among the population as well, that hostility towards China was really because of Trump. But um, was it because of Trump, or was it despite Trump, or what was the relation to Trump, or no relation to Trump? Did he just kind of plug into something? That I've ta- talked about this on the program yeah. before, because I come from the from the Midwest and uh, grew up in a in an area, and it was in Illinois, and West Central Illinois, which, uh, as I think I mentioned before, we had seven factories when I was growing up, and the last one closed about 20 years ago and was blamed on China, even though none of the factories actually went to China, but that's beside the fact. So what, 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 what Trump did is he, he, uh, he understood those issues, and he basically was able to 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 uh, voice them and to make people sympathetic that he 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 agreed and he understood that people were feeling displaced feeling a lot of competition they felt they were running in place or even worse they they weren't better off than they were 10 or 20 years ago in fact maybe in many cases worse off and a lot of this had to be due to with globalism too much of it and especially with china so yes it's been building for really a long, long time, and now it's just uh, it just was increased during the Trump administration. And uh, as you can see, the policy of the Biden administration so far hasn't deviated that much. Some of the rhetoric has changed; it's a little bit milder. But in terms of the sanctions, in terms of the tariffs, they're still there. Uh, and do you think he's going to continue that, or, do, or are you saying that we really don't know yet? I suspect because he hasn't got the ambassador and so on. Yeah, well, I suspect they'll ease over time for some of the economic reasons I mentioned. But you know, it's 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 very. He's got to be very careful. It's uh, he's walking a tightrope as as is are the countries that are caught between the the U.S. and China, as we mentioned before. He's walking one domestically as as well as internationally. He and his administration. So I think they're going to be careful. But I think. Practically, we have to move out of this this complete confrontation and look for some some uh, areas in which we can uh, we can work together, the U.S. and and China uh, in in productive ways. Yeah, I mean that sounds like like a bit uh, idealistic, but at the same time, I, I think it's important to do. 
And, and then we talked a bit about Europe, but in this part of the world as well, we've seen people, you know, kind of drifting away from from uh, from China, uh, arguably the Philippines, Australia, uh, and so on, even even Vietnam and the South China Sea, uh, Japan, um, maybe not Korea, but you know, there's still the kind of hostility towards Beijing there as well. Do you think? Well, there there is some, and there's been some push pushback, but at the same time, as I mentioned, economically, still very important, right? And in terms of what mm. what China is doing, including things like the Belt and Road Initiative. And although it's it's not been perfect, at least it's been an attempt by China to try to deal with some of the serious issues that are facing uh, much of the region, and especially in infrastructure. And we've got the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, which is multinational, although Although uh, started by by China, and that's very that's important as well. So, in terms of what countries around the region need, China is part of the equation. It cannot not be because it's a dominant economy in Asia, in Asia, and of course, number two in the world, and uh, and one of the one of the major contributors to everything we're doing. Sure, there's a, a Malaysia as well with that little flare up there, and uh, India, yeah. of course. That's right, and there will Malaysia. be, and there will be. Sure. Well, India, there's a, that's more, much more serious issue yeah. and much more basic. Yeah. Uh, okay. TC on Facebook says, while I'm not GOP, Mike, doesn't this bill with bipartisan support show that Donald Trump's China policy has merits? I don't understand why people in the U.S., Hong Kong, or anywhere in the world in the world were getting tarred and feathers for supporting Donald Trump for his China policy. Also, Donald Trump seemed to go after China in places that really hurt them. Most importantly, I like how he forced the international community to have a clear position on the US-China conflict. That's from uh, TC. Any thoughts on that, Mark? Well, he, he did raise issues. President Trump did raise issues and some you know, some valid ones and, and maybe brought brought to the fore issues that were already behind the scenes, as you as we've mentioned before. But at the same time, it was sporadic and, you know, it's all over the place and it was inconsistent mm -hmm. and it drove a lot of people crazy. And so, you know, the sense that Biden, the Biden administration so far has calmed down things. Is it going to be more effective in the end? Well, I think this bill is a good example of we'll see. We'll see how it's applied, how it, if it actually goes through, and if so, uh, how it's actually implemented and what kind of effect it has, and then what else is going on in, in other areas between the U.S. and China and the U.S. and Europe and the rest of the world. Okay, some uh, comment uh uh, from uh, some emails, a flurry of emails. I think our servers have let them in. Uh, Mike says, when we start listening to Chuck Schumer, a New York Democrat, when he said, if we do nothing, our days as the dominant superpower may be ending, unquote. Let's remind everybody that Chuck Schumer has done nothing for the past years if it didn't have anything to do with an impeachment. He really is part of the problem, not the solution. <laughs> that is from Mike. Yes, that Mike. Uh, Peter says, the U.S. Senate passes the Innovation and Competition Act, which largely confirms the U.S. is a bunch of losers and copycats. First, at its heart, the Innovation and Competition Act emulates China's Made in China 2025 plan. Then Chuck Schumer, besides all the fluff of fake genocide and anti-China sanctions, explains the real motivation for the passing the bill, warning of the dire consequences of not funding research to keep up with China. Quote, if we do nothing, our days as the dominant superpower may be ending. We don't mean to let those days end on our watch. We don't mean to see America become a middling nation in this century. That's from uh, Peter. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, one comment 
from John, who, uh, who says, I regret that it will be necessary for me to report yet another RTHK host for violations of the national security law. Nixie Lam this morning blatantly and publicly stated that Hong Kong is, quote, between China and the USA. Unquote. Every right-thinking Hong Konger knows that Hong Kong <laughs> is an eternal and inalienable part of China. <laughs> Seeking to separate Hong Kong from Beijing's colonial grip is a clear offence against the relevant thought control laws, and Nixie obviously needs a serious dose of re-education, without bail, of course, in the Hong Kong gulag. Yeah, please report me in 62717171. John, thanks for that. Mark, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Mark Michelson, <laughs> chairman of the Asia, Asia CEO Forum at uh, IMA. Uh, Asia. A uh, quick comment from Andrew Kay, who says, I would like to support the actions of the Peninsula regarding the s- vaccination of their staff. Right mix of carrot and stick. For 12 months, the hospitality industry has sulked about their bad luck. Finally, some positive action being taken. If any of the staff lose their jobs for failing to comply, putting their colleagues and guests at risk, I'm sure there are thousands of people ready to take their jobs. That's from uh, Andrew Kay. Thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, one more comment. This is from uh, Matthew. Uh, uh, related to our earlier discussion about the uh, policeman. Um, Matthew says, I know many local and foreign police who are good people. However, over a long period of time, the most senior leadership of our Hong Kong police have enthusiastically chosen to align their own self-interest with serving the CCP above serving and protecting the people of Hong Kong. And the force as a whole has chosen to fall in line with this and offered no tangible resistance. When history is written, this will be seen as a major betrayal of fellow citizens. Some, like Toby and others, have chosen to enthusiastically get on board. And I think this is often because they have needed to adopt a fortress-style mindset to cope with the situation the senior leadership has put them in and the need to survive given the difficulty of changing career and lifestyle. That said, they've chosen their path and must accept it or change course. On another note, does Nixie denounce the behaviour of her DAB colleagues who were convicted of bribing people in a key by-election and then can she advise if this is a common tactic used by the DAB? Nixie, do you want to respond Maybe on that? Maybe you can find calls directly and ask. <laughs> Okay. Not in a position to reply that. Okay. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, civil service uh, now uh, with the uh, decision to uh, freeze the um, uh, pay for uh, civil servants Although the, in the coming year, although the uh, pay trend uh, survey uh, has uh, shown that uh, overall uh, pay uh, outside the civil service uh, decreased uh, somewhat. For comment, we're joined now by uh, Felix Chung, uh, leader of the Liberal Party. Uh, Mr Chung, good morning to you. What do you make of this? What do you think of uh, freezing the pay? I think that there's a fair, fair decisions from uh, the exco um, and from the government. Especially if you think about uh, last year, um, there was actually um, a pay uh, a pay rise um, from the survey that was made last year, and finally the, the government decided to frozen the pay rise of the civil servant last year. So this year, the, the survey is saying that it should be a decrease. I mean, then it will be very unfair. Why last year when there was a the survey was saying it should be a, a, a pay rise and it was frozen, and now this year it was a decrease, and then the government decided to decrease the civil service uh, salaries. So, I mean, this is a very fair position. Isn't it a bit of a dangerous precedent, though, to say, well, look what happened last year, so we were a bit 
ungenerous last year so we can be a bit more generous this year if you start acting like that then you say well you know five years ago we did this so maybe we should do that a little bit and you're kind of getting into hunches and things isn't it better just to stick with the rules and and the the the, the, the principle that the civil service pay should uh, reflect the pay of the um, uh, and the conditions should reflect the pay of the general population. It's as simple well, as under, that. Under you start bending the rules, they're going to break. Yeah, I, I know. But under normal economic situations, I agree with what you said. But, I mean, the last two years we had um, the outbreak of the pandemic. Uh, the economic situation is, well, it was very bad last year. I mean, it's recovering this year, but it's still not good. So, I mean, everybody would understand why the government make these decisions, and I think this is a fair decision. Well, especially last year, uh, when the overall economic situation was uh, was disastrous. And if the government decided to uh, follow the, the survey, the pay trend survey, and increase the the salaries of the civil service, I, I mean, that, that might have a big rebounds from, uh, from the general uh, so I think under this special pandemic situation, I, I think this decision is reasonable and acceptable. What about the uh, response from the, uh, the general public, like like the private companies? Are they going to follow? Uh, or, or, well, yeah. I, I can tell you that the, the private sector will never follow uh, what the <laughs> government decisions. Right. I mean, they will consider themselves, especially um, different sectors, sector by sector, have different uh, situation. Mm -hmm. If you think about the financial industries, it's still uh, working very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the mm -hmm. property market, the real estate industries, the work they're doing very well. I mean, they they will not follow, or they may have a pretty good increase in 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 the salaries of their mm -hmm. of that sector. But if you think about the tourism industries, mm -hmm. I mean, they they've been dying for over a year and a half. So how, how, how could they um, follow the government? So, I mean, from the private sector, it really depends on the industry itself or even depends on the company itself. Mm. I mean, certain companies from, from different sectors might still doing good. So uh, the private sector never follows the government. You know, how many civil servants have lost their job uh, under COVID over the last two years? None, I don't think. Not one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that job security is worth an enormous amount, isn't it? And if you're really going to stack up the the terms and conditions and, and, and the pay for for civil service against the, the the private sector, you've got to say that civil servants have had an enormous advantage. And why should they get an advantage when it comes to the pay as well? Well, everybody knows that if you apply a job to be a civil servant, they understand um, to work for the government, you have a very stable. Uh, working environment, a stable um, pay. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people think, oh, they're so lucky uh, at this time of the moment. Uh, like we are facing a very difficult economic period. Then um, working in the private sector, every, everybody knows that you have to uh, work pretty hard to get a, a fair return. So, I mean, this is a two separate uh, um, Career, career choice, <laughs> career path for for, for for people to choose. 
I've got to say, Mr. Chong, I'm a bit surprised at the turn this conversation is taking because usually when we talk to the Liberal Party, they're very critical of, of civil service pay and they're saying that the civil service pay should be cut. And here am I, a civil servant, arguing with you. And you're <laughs> yeah, so, I was thinking You're about saying that. increase it and I'm saying decrease it. So what, what's happened to the Liberal Party? No, 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 no. I mean, uh, uh, we have to, uh, well, put it this way, you, you have to look at the, the real situations right now. Um, oh, of course. But the um, real situation, okay, here's, here's another email, this is from Les, who says many people have lost jobs, others have had their pay cut significantly. The perception that many of us have in business is that Hong Kong civil servants have largely not been impacted by COVID-19, other than having the inconvenience of not being able to travel, having to work from home. And therein lies an issue, because they have not had to suffer with the broader population. They, the civil servants, have little understanding of the impact that COVID-19 has had. You can argue that they work throughout, and I and many others will argue that it took twice as long to get anything done. And when you're running a business, trying to get approvals to open stores, it's galling to listen to people, stroke Felix, trying to justify not taking a hit like everyone else in the territory, because it will impact morale. Those that have been hit hardest pay taxes to pay these folks, and the civil service should not be immune to the effects of the pandemic. A pay freeze should be a well, decrease. We are not back to normal. That's from Les. Well, I mean, then you have to think about to work as a civil servant. I mean, anything happens. Why should we punish? Why should we have to punish the civil servants? I mean, the 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 way you you, you talk about is it, it seems that uh, um, no matter how, I mean, the civil servants will not be benefited if there is a re economic booming. But I mean, when there is a economic downturn, I mean, we we all have to uh, let them to face that together. I mean, I mean, I mean, the, the the job is not like this, and the the reason why um, we have a very stable um, uh, administration in terms of the civil services is because they have a very stable job and stable pay. So, I mean, you cannot uh, say that uh, when there is something happened in Hong Kong, um, the civil servants have to uh, face the same problem. I mean, the cut will be. Um, Uh, some more thoughts. This is from, okay, here's an email from uh, Toby. Yes, that Toby, the policeman Toby, <laughs> who says, uh, Dear Hugh, as a serving civil servant, I may be slightly biased in my opinion, but I object to being subjected to another pay freeze this year, especially after the freeze last year, when the pay trend survey recommended a very modest increase, which the government ignored. We are now in a better financial situation. We are slowly returning to a normal life after COVID-19, and we have faithfully served the community through this difficult period. Why does the retired, I believe, President of the Chinese Civil Service Association, state that the pay freeze is the smooth option. With inflation, we are actually suffering a pay cut for two years running now. That's uh, from uh, Toby. And uh, Chris says, as Hong Kong continues its convergence with the mainland, local civil servants should expect their wages to be slashed to match those of their Chinese peers. What will happen to staff morale then? That comes uh, from Chris. Thank you very much in indeed for this. Uh, Felix Chung, thank you very much indeed for, 
for joining us, leader of the uh, Liberal Party. Many thanks to uh, Nixie and to our producer, Yuki. Uh, Emrys gets the last word today in an email on US versus China. Uh, we are entering dangerous times with rhetoric from both sides inflaming an already fragile relationship. It's difficult to predict the end game. However, a tipping point is on the horizon. We can only hope that common sense prevails. That's uh, from Emrys. Thank you very much in, indeed for that. That's it from uh, me. Uh, here's the weather before we go. It's going to be mainly cloudy, sunny intervals and a few showers forecast with temperatures up to 31 degrees. The outlook, there will be occasional showers and thunderstorms in the next few days and it's going to be windier over the weekend. 28 Celsius at the moment, relative humidity at 85%. Captain, news on the Smart ID card replacement exercise. Report, please. If you hold the old former Smart ID card and were born in 19 19- 1973 to 1976, you must replace your ID card on or before July 9th this year. Those born in 2005 to 2007 or 2012 to 2018 must replace their ID cards from May 3rd to September 18th this year with the required documents and accompanied by a parent or legal guardian. For details, visit smartid.gov.hk. Remember to bug ahead. 33, the news now with Samantha Butler. The European Union has denounced Beijing's overhaul of Hong Kong's political system, accusing China of breaching its international commitments. In a statement released through its top diplomat, Joseph Borrell, the EU said it would intensify its response to the situation in Hong Kong by increasing support for civil society, promoting freedom of expression and facilitating the movement of Hong Kong citizens. President Biden has begun his first overseas trip since taking office with a rallying cry in support of democracy around the world. Addressing hundreds of U.S. troops at an airbase in eastern England, Mr. Biden said the United States was ready to lead an unrivaled network of alliances with strength. And the United Nations is warning that after decades of decline, child labor is rising again worldwide. Sub-Saharan Africa has seen a particularly sharp increase. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? Well, not too bad at all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. So it's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you and welcome to Thursday on our morning brew. Our vet Dr David Gething will be with us after 11 for his weekly house call. A couple of very interesting emails from you that have come in over the week, so we'll get stuck into them. Plus, he'll talk about how Russia is vaccinating dogs against coronavirus. The thinking seems to be it can't hurt. Hopefully after 12 I've got some live music for you, but at the moment watch this space. Let's get things going with the railway children every beat of my heart.